think God wants all of us to be like John the Evangelist. Dear friends, we're not to sit here on this earth with Jesus in our hearts and let him putrefy within. We are here to share him with other people. He calls us to serve other folks the way he has served us. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Bible teaches us in the Gospel of John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For us to better comprehend this teaching, we need to understand what the Word is. Today, David continues our study of the Gospel of John, picking up in chapter 1, verse 14, in the second part of his message called, The Word. He entered a stable in Bethlehem, totally God and totally human. The Word became flesh. The Word Jesus became incarnated, enshrouded in flesh. What's fascinating is the second person of the Godhead has all the glory of the Father, all the glory of the Godhead, yet he veiled that Godhead's glory with flesh. Why? Because we know from Moses, when he was with God on Mount Sinai, he could not look into the face of God and live. No one can look into the face of God and live. So God veiled his glory, his perfection in that human flesh. The word became flesh and then dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled. It means that God put on a tent, if you will. Uh, It alludes to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, for those of you who know it, that was Israel's worship place. In the center of it was the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence dwelt. And no one could come into his presence and live. The sacrifices were made regularly to forgive the people of their sins. That blood sacrifice was then given to the altar, and then the Father would approve of that, and the people's sins would be forgiven until they started sinning again, then had to go through the next thing. But God lived in the tent in the Old Testament. He lived in the tabernacle. And that's the same image that's given here. Jesus put on a tent. Jesus came into a tabernacle. And you know what? All of us have tabernacles as well. We all live in tents in these bodies that are getting a little more worn and frazzled as the years pass by. And at some point, we're going to have to fold up our tent. At some point, our tents are going to wear out. And at that point, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we've been promised an eternal a perfect tent that never ages, never has trials, tears, tribulations, or troubles. We will live in that perfect tent forever. It's a promise of the resurrection life of Jesus. But it all began with what we call the incarnation, what we're celebrating during this Christmas time. John 1, 14, one of the great verses in the Bible, the word Jesus, because of his great love for us, on a rescue mission, entered a stable in Bethlehem with a manure-filled background with shepherds coming to him, not born in pomp and ceremony, with princes and princesses surround him, but just a very common mom and dad and cattle and straw and all kinds of acrid smells. But God so loved the world, he entered into our poverty from the splendor of heaven to pursue us. And he put on a tent. He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When John says we have seen him, I think he's talking about Peter, James, and John. The three of us saw the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when the three of us went up to that Mount with Jesus and suddenly the Father in heaven 
took away the flesh and the glory shone forth from the Father, we got a glimpse of the glory that was within the Son and it was a magnificent moment and Elijah and Moses stepped out of eternity to come there to encourage Jesus in his last days before the cross and the Father said to Peter, James, and John, here's Moses and Elijah, they have great voices as the great prophet and the great lawgiver, but listen to him. Listen to Jesus. He's my son. He's equal in the Godhead. He is the one who has all the glory that you are seeing right now. So I think the we there is Peter, James, and John had seen the glory, the glory as of the only son of the second person of the Godhead from the Father. And this son, Jesus, was full of grace and truth. I find that fascinating, dear friends, because if Jesus in his fullness came with grace and truth, if he indwells us in the power of the Spirit, that means in his fullness, he indwells us with grace and truth. Dear friends, as those of us who love Jesus passionately and have given our hearts to him to follow him faithfully, we too must live in grace and truth. Both of them need to be an important part of our lives because that's what filled the second person of the Godhead in his human form full of grace and truth. So that means we live in unconditional love. The love that we've received from Jesus who died on the cross, not holding us accountable for our sins, but giving us salvation by grace through faith. We, we love deeply because God first loved us. We love all people throughout the world. We give our lives away to be servants, not superstars. But on the other hand, we also operate with truth. Truth must similarly be a part of our lives. So we stand for God's objective truths. One of the great debates in our culture today is, is there objective truth? We, as God's children in Jesus, must say we live in grace and truth. Yes, there are objective truths. In our postmodern society, one of the things that's slipping away is a belief in objective truth. And what has replaced that objective truth? It's simply our feelings. Our feelings have become our God. Whatever we feel is what's right. So I can have my truth if my feelings say something. You can have your truth if your feelings say something. And we just try to get along. But the problem there is there is objective truth. Two plus two does equal four. And a lot of times our feelings don't match God's objective truth. If you don't believe that, just look at the way you raise your children. They may say, well, I feel a certain way. And you say, no, absolutely not. That's not what's best for you or for this family. God has given his moral law to us. And when that moral law clashes with our feelings, we've got to submit our feelings to God's truth and let our feelings be conformed to the image of Jesus, Romans chapter eight, verse 29. And when he lives within us, even though our feelings might be haywire about different things we believe regarding our gender or our sexuality or how we'll behave, when those things run against God's moral objective truths, we are called to let the Jesus who lives in us slowly but surely in the process of making us holy, he who began the great work will be faithful to complete it, Philippians 1, 6, conform us to the image of Jesus. So therefore, as we become more and more like Jesus and we abide by his truth, as we obey his truth, as we become a holy people who want more than anything else in the world to please him, we then become love machines in that holy desire to please the Father, then we love passionately all people, all sinners, 
all people of different colors, all people of different genders. We love all people who are in the world because we know that we're called to live by the grace that we've received. But there's a delicate balance. If your faith is only grace-driven, you'll become a sloppy liberal. You will ease off the side of the road and you'll be unable to reach anyone. But if you make truth your only focus, you'll become a narrow-minded, bigoted, self-righteous Pharisee. And nobody will want your life whatsoever. You'll be judgmental and constantly moving people away from you. But when you have both of those qualities in your life, when you're walking in truth in a holy way and your life is different from the world, but yet you're loving powerfully and completely, you will draw the world to Jesus. They'll see Jesus in you. It's what Paul meant in the book of Ephesians when he said, speak the truth in love. How we say something is as important as what we say, but we're nevertheless supposed to speak the truth, God's moral, objective truth, but do so in great compassion and grace. And when you do so, again, that kind of language will draw people to the Savior. Remember, John's great passion was that so that people would believe in Jesus. Verse 15 is another verse about John the baptizer. Let's skip that one and move to verse 16. I'll cover that in a couple of weeks. For from his fullness we have received, so in the fullness of Jesus living within us, full of grace and truth, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Let me stop there, because even though truth is very important, folks, what we really need in our dark natures, in our sinful attitudes, we need grace, and we need grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, and upon grace, because grace is what allows us to continue to move toward Jesus. Look, you need to know, I'm the biggest screw up in the room. (laughs) I have more flaws than I want to admit, and I continue to move toward Jesus, and when I slip and fall, when I'm not everything I should be, what do I need? I need grace. I need grace upon grace. I need grace upon grace upon grace, and Jesus gives that to us, and when you get in touch with how profound that grace is, you're never the same, and it allows you to give it away. That's why the apostle John, purportedly at the end of his life, on a pallet, his body broken, brought all the people in Ephesus around him, and purportedly his last sermon was, little children love one another. Give grace to one another. The grace you've received, give it away to other people. We need grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now now the law is important and it came through Moses, the great lawgiver. We don't cast aside God's moral objective truth. One of the purposes and perhaps maybe even the major purpose of the law with the gospel of Jesus Christ is to convict us of our sin. The Apostle Paul in one of his writings actually even says that the law is a schoolmaster, it's a tutor. What does it do? As you look at the law, it teaches us just how sinful we really are. If you wanna know how sinful you really are, go through each one of the 10 commandments. Go through God's objective moral law and you'll see what he wills for all of his people everywhere and with each one of them we go, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Number three, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Number six, uh uh-oh. Number eight, whoops. All of them convict our hearts with just how selfish we are. And the purpose of the law of Moses is to drive us to the cross where we experience the truth of our need for grace and a savior. Here it is. For we, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the word is full of grace and truth. And here John names for the first time who the word is. 
He says, the word's name is Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know, the word Christ is a Greek term that means the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the long expected one by the Jews who would come into the world and rid the world of all of its villainy, all of its evil, and give the world the kingdom of God. And that was the expectation. Here clearly, John says, and for those of us who love Jesus, we know that Christ isn't his name. Christ is his title. His name is Jesus, which means Savior. He came into the world to save us from our sins. It's a rescue mission. Again, Christ is his title. He is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one who came to save Israel from its sins. Then verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Again, you can't look into the face of God and live. No one has seen God. So what did God do? He veiled his glory in human flesh, and he came into this world through his son to show us who he is. So many of you know how much I love my daddy. I wish that he was still here. I look forward to seeing him again. Uh, You know, there's something in my heart that just knows I'm going to see him again. He was raised to new life because he believed in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to be raised to new life. So I have every expectation that I'm going to see him again. And I've had a few of you at different moments come to me and say, boy, how much you loved your dad. I say, oh man, I still do. And you say to me, "I, I wish I could meet Howard Chadwick. And here's what I say, you know, you've met his son. And if you want to know about my daddy, Howard Chadwick, I can tell you because I came from him. You know, I know him intimately and well. Now, it's not a perfect illustration because the son and the father are equal in their Godhead, but you know, I knew my dad. And if you want to know about my daddy, I can tell you about who he is because we were very, very close. Well, similarly, God sent his son into the world to tell us in words we could understand and with human flesh that we could understand who the father is. We could guess about him forever, but when your children ask you, parents, and ask the question, what's God like? Here's your answer. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at the way he followed God's holy law. Look at the way he loved people compassionately. Look at the way he died on the cross to give life to people who didn't deserve it. Look at Jesus and you'll see the nature of the Father. All the adjectives that describe Jesus describe the Father in heaven. And John here makes it very clear in verse 18 that no one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, and he came into this world so that we could know the Father. We could see who he is. We would know his nature. We'd see his love. And we would want to have a relationship with him like Jesus has a perfect relationship with the Father as well. So that's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. There's so much that we covered. But let me just go over a few points as we continually ask the question again, who is Jesus? We've seen that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is distinct from the Father, but yet he's also God himself that strange, mysterious union life that they have with one another. Jesus is the creator of everything in this world. Jesus is about light, life, and love. So if you want three L's to help guide you on how to live, think about how you can give life to other people, how you can give light to other people, and how you can love other people. And when you do those three L's, light, life, and love, you're never more like Jesus. That's what he came to do. Jesus is God in human flesh. The word became flesh. Jesus does confront and divide 
There are people in the world who just don't believe in him. There are people even in his own family, the Jewish family, who do not believe in him. Jesus confronts and divides, but he also gives people to have an, an opportunity for a new family in him. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Both need to be there, but especially grace, because as we move forward in this life, we need grace upon grace upon grace. And finally, Jesus is the one who reveals who the Father truly is. Don't you want to know God today? Well, we want to be like John in that we want to be a disciple whom Jesus deeply loved. We want to have intimacy with Jesus. Five times again in John, John says that he had that kind of relationship with Jesus, and I think we can as well. But secondly, I think God wants all of us to be like John the evangelist. Dear friends, we're not to sit here on this earth with Jesus in our hearts and let him putrefy within. We are here to share him with other people, to live his life toward other people. He calls us to serve other folks the way he has served us. So might we dare at Moments of Hope Church in 2021 to make a renewed commitment to be about reaching people who don't know Jesus locally and globally because John was called John the Evangelist because he said at the end of the book, the purpose of writing this was so that people could believe in Jesus and go home. May we have that same passion, that same priority, that same purpose this day and forever. John 1, 1 through 18, the word of the Lord. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about how hope is a cornerstone of our faith. We'll be right back. I'm Mark McManus with Moments of Hope Church's Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. With me in the studio today is Tony Marciano, Executive Director of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, tell us about the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Mark, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, everything we do is about transformation. With a focus on individuals struggling with addiction, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And we accomplish that by providing professional, Christian, residential recovery services free of charge. Now let me back up for just a moment and explain all that to you. When I say the word transformation, I get those marching orders from John 6, a very interesting chapter of the Bible, where on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That night, the disciples float across the lake. Jesus follows them by walking across the lake, and the next day, the crowd gets in boats and follows them. But on day two, Jesus chooses not to feed them. He begins to preach at them, and they all leave. I think in that one chapter, it's the heart of God for the poor, where God says on day one, I love you so much, I accept you just as you are. But day two, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation that we focus on every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. I mentioned we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And that root cause is shame. Guilt is when I make a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. And if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And then I wrapped it up by saying we address this by providing professional, free, Christian residential recovery services. I like to use the verses out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Mark, I believe firmly that when someone realizes that God's love is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not conditional, but unconditional. When they have that aha moment that God loves them, 
all the shame in their soul goes away because they know they are fully accepted by God, not for what they've done, but simply because God loves them. And that's what we do every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. Love to have you get involved. Please go to our webpage, charlotterescuemission.org, for ways that you can impact the people we serve. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, the word hope is in so many aspects of your ministry. Um, What part does hope play in our personal relationship with God? Well, Jen, I don't think that we can live for one second without hope. What's that old phrase? I've used it before Mm -hmm. on this broadcast, but I don't think I can ever say it too often. You can live for 40 days without food. You can live approximately four days without water. Uh, You can live approximately four minutes without air, but you can't live for one second without hope. We all need hope. If you lose hope, you lose life. You want to give up and just not keep moving forward. Interestingly, as you go through the Psalms and list all of the places where David calls God my something or another, you have lists like God is my refuge, my strength, my help. Uh, But you also have one that's very interesting in Psalm 71.4, King David calls God my hope. I find that fascinating that David is in a personal relationship with the living God of the universe and realizes he can't live for one second without God being his personal hope. He knows he needs hope in order to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. in life. Well, if it's true for King David, it's true for you, Jen, me, and all of our listeners. We need to have hope. And my dad used to say all the time, if the sun comes up in the morning, there's always hope. Mm -hmm. He was trying to instill within me the belief that as long as there's a new day, there's always hope because God is my personal hope. So let's take a second today and just think about God as my hope. When you know God as your hope, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the comforter, the helper lives inside of us and encourages us. He nudges all of us to keep pressing on, especially during times when you feel like you just can't endure anything Mm. anymore. Your daddy in heaven, folks, knows his plans for you. They are plans for a future. And do everyone remember out there Jeremiah 29, 11? It's for a future and a hope, a hope in him where the gifts he's given you still have purposes in this world, no matter how desperate your life may seem. For his specific, unique calling on you, folks, always believe there's a future and a hope, a future that's good, a hope that is secure. Therefore, you can keep moving forward. So today, do you know Jesus as your personal, living, eternal hope? Pray to him today. Lord Jesus, you are my hope. Through you and your promises, I have an eternal home. I also have a daily hope right now because you live in me. And if I have another breath, you must have me here in this world for a reason, for a hope. Therefore, I can keep moving forward. I will not give up. I will always have hope because God is my personal hope. Wow, this is really good and what I would call a now word for a lot of us in the times we're living in. Thank you so much. Well, you know, Jen, everybody wants to give up right now because we've been through this pandemic for so long Mm -hmm. and it's caused such angst in so many different people, but you know we can't give up. We've Mm -hmm. got to keep moving forward. Everything's temporary. As my dad once told me too, his favorite verse in the Bible is this one. 
and it came to pass. Hmm. This will pass. We'll get beyond it. Hope will return. Keep believing, folks. Keep pressing forward. Hope will come. And if you'd like to receive this daily e-blast from me at 7 o'clock in the morning in your inboxes, simply go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there to these daily moments of hope from my heart to yours to give you the ability to call God my hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for a deeper relationship with God. 